All right, welcome into another episode of the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. Ryan, Ben, and Corey here again with you guys. We've got another great show for you. We're going to do a quick recap of all the games of Super Wildcard Weekend. If Super Wildcard Weekend was anything, it was three things. It was super, it was wild, and for the most part, it was a weekend. We had one game on a Monday that just wrapped up. And at the end, we're going to go over a new segment we're bringing to you guys the outsider performances of the week, shining a spotlight on, you know, the guys that don't necessarily have the household names that showed up for their teams this week. So we'll get started. The wildcard weekend opened up with the Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers, a divisional matchup. This is a game that we all felt comfortable taking the 49ers in, and ultimately that was the right choice. It was close at halftime. Seattle actually led 17-16 at halftime, but San Francisco in this high-powered offense was just too much for the young Seattle defense. They broke away. Final was San Francisco 41, Seattle 23. What would you guys make of this game? Adrenaline. You know, the adrenaline can only take you so far, and that's what Seattle fed off of in the first half. That's how they were able to keep it close combination of san francisco just kind of taking it easy weathering the storm that's what a veteran team with a young quarterback does they played well enough to lead at halftime a penalty ends up uh giving seattle the lead at halftime but they left no doubt they were the better team and ultimately the niners are a wagon they are the team that we have said now for weeks you do not want to see doesn't matter that brock purdy's a quarterback that defense is very difficult to move the ball on, and they showed that in the second half against Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, uh, I don't think the Niners have lost since September, maybe early October. I think they're at about 12 games in a row now, so that's about three months worth of uh, wins. I mean, I think everybody kind of saw this coming. The whole idea that it's tough to beat a team three times doesn't really apply here because – They've played – the Niners are a different team every time you play them. They could have, you know, three – they've had three different quarterbacks this year. Gino was fun. It was a great story. But Seattle also had no business being in the playoffs. Who did – they had no real good wins, I don't I don't believe. The they Giants. Just, exactly. And I think uh, hindsight is obviously 2020. We look at the rest of the season. But their opening uh, week game against Denver, that was certainly an upset given the expectations. Yeah, absolutely, given the expectations, but we kind of saw how Denver was and what they were, and Seattle was a good story. I think there were a couple better teams that missed the postseason that would have given San Fran more of a fight. Detroit, Green Bay, even Washington, I think all would have been better games than this one. But that's why they were the early game on Saturday, you know, to start things off, the weakest out of all the matchups. Yep, so... Seattle, like you said, I mean, you could argue about Detroit, Green Bay, maybe deserving that spot more from just a competitive standpoint. But Seattle, they had a good 2022 season, certainly exceeded expectations. So for them moving forward, I think it's simple. You just continue to build. I mean, this was a young team. You're starting, I think, two rookie tackles on that offensive line. You have two really young guys, two other rookies in the secondary, um, Ken Walker, uh, you know, front runner for an offensive rookie of the year award. And uh, I mentioned one of those corners, Tariq Wollen, could be defensive rookie of the year. So it's just about just more experience, getting a little more talent. But 
before we move on to the next game, just real quick, would you guys go into 2023 if you're the Seattle GM coach, whatever, would you go into next season with Geno Smith as your starting quarterback? Yeah, I'd have to say I would. I think you definitely look at your options and see you have some draft capital. I don't think there's a rush to move off of him. At the same time, he's not the long-term answer. He's a bridge quarterback. Now, if Seattle doesn't think that their future quarterback is in the draft this year or available for them to get, you stick with Geno, you keep Geno on the roster, and you ride him until you find the guy that you want to move on with. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take what you said and go in the other direction that you went. Geno's fine. Geno's serviceable. Geno's not the answer. Geno's not the future. If you don't have your options available and he's what you have, go for it. Compete for another wild card. Build upon your defense. But if there's a quarterback you like in the draft and they have a bunch of picks, they have a boatload coming from that deal with Denver, get your guy in the draft. Let him sit behind Geno for a year or two if you want. Or if you feel like uh, the iron's uh, hot and you're ready to strike, who's to say not to go after a, a Rodgers or a Lamar if you feel like your core is good enough to to compete with a San Fran if they don't have a quarterback identity. Think Get your guy if he's available. If not, ride with Geno. He's not the worst possible option out there. Yeah, think of uh, Pete Carroll's running offense in Seattle with Lamar Jackson. Exactly. He's the type of guy that if you're in a spot like Seattle, why not? That he puts you right back in the Super Bowl contention. Certainly a situation to watch out there in the Pacific Northwest. They have, I believe it's the fifth overall pick uh, from Denver and then as well their other picks. So, I mean, they're certainly in position. They don't even need to really move at all. Um, but let's move on to the next game, the other Saturday night game, Los Angeles Chargers at Jacksonville Jaguars. And, whoa, boy. Duval! Or we'll toss it to you in a second, but let me run through this. Chargers dominated the first half. They were up 27 to nothing at one point. Final ends up being Jacksonville came all the way back. Last second field goal as time expired. They win 31-30 by a point. And we were every which way. Corey was on the side of the Jaguars. Ben took the Chargers. I said, I'll let you know when there's about five seconds left in the game <laughs> who I think was going to win. And I said, oh, yeah, Jacksonville will win this game. So point for me. Yeah, five uh, seconds Corey, left. It wasn't in the bag either. I know. I mean, he he tucked that field goal in with very little room to spare. That was not down the middle. I kind of got the sense, though, uh, Trevor Lawrence hit Zay Jones for a long touchdown towards the end of the third quarter, and that's when I really bought into like the magic of the comeback. Uh, one of my other friends I was watching the game with started saying in the second quarter, like almost sarcastically, oh, this will be a great comeback. But uh, So, Corey, did – I mean, you're – Team you picked one. Did you see it going that way? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I just want to throw out there that I went undefeated in picks this week. Got every game. Good for you, Corey. <laughs> I, I, I need that validation. I, I needed it. Corey's off to a strong start. I needed the validation. But, uh, yeah, fishing for compliments. Hey, I caught, I caught a couple. Yes, you did. 
Hey, but, you know uh, what? In all seriousness, hats off to you, Corey. You did predict Wild Card Weekend to perfection. But I, I, I never lost faith in the Jaguars. The Chargers, that's what they do. I don't want to call them frauds, but they are, uh, they are a team with a deep-seated history with tough, brutal losses. They really and are. Even down, you kind of saw Trevor Lawrence was getting frustrated. And Dougie P is just, he's an otherworldly head coach. And you can see them chipping away. You saw it towards the end of the first half. They got that touchdown. They get the ball back. Maybe things are happening. The Chargers just couldn't keep it up. Lawrence and the, the offense did a great job keeping their uh, their focus on not thinking about the turnovers. And I, I did put my money where my mouth my mouth was. Bet a nice unit on the Jaguars to win before the game. Didn't double down like I should have. But that, that, was, that, was a, that was a ridiculously fun game to watch. Here's here's my takeaways from it. The Chargers, I believe, are the better team. Yeah. But Doug Peterson can coach. And by coach, I'm not even thinking about the scheme here. But to still keep the confidence in your young quarterback and it wasn't like it wasn't just turnovers to get them back in. I mean, Trevor Lawrence had to throw touchdowns and it was to all of those guys that they dished out money to this offseason. So that's a bit of a redemption story there for them. So Doug Peterson, he kept these guys alive, not just in this game, but this game, it almost feels like an epitome of their season. Like, this is a team that started off brutal. I mean, they were okay the first four games, but then they, I believe they were two and seven at one point to then go on the streak that they're on to make the playoffs and then to go down the way they did. I mean, I remember watching the Texans Chiefs game a few years ago when Patrick Mahomes went down 24 nothing in the first quarter. And I thought, all right, yeah, I mean, it's Mahomes. We'll see. He might be able to come back. Like, you don't think of a comeback like that coming, though, often. Even with Mahomes, there was still like, oh, yeah, he can do it. Not he will. And Trevor Lawrence did it with less time and a bigger deficit. Really, hats off to Doug Peterson. Hats off to Trevor Lawrence because they went out there and they played. They had a great game point out how amazing that fourth down call was to ETN at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. That was great. No, it, That's why we watch football is moments like that. Exactly. And again, coaching steps up when you're spotted 27 points, you can't lose that game. I don't care how well the other team plays. And, you know, ultimately Corey said it last week, it comes down to coaching in a matchup like this and Staley which we all agree is not a he's not a great coach. Um, shocked to see uh, to this point he's still employed, but you know Doug Peterson put on a clinic and he put Staley in his place and showed why the Jaguars brought him in and what the Jaguars can be. Yeah, so the Chargers they go into this off season as disappointed as any other team has ever uh, gone into an off season, and that's they need to figure out is I think. What is the Chargers identity? I think, you know, Corey said he doesn't want to call them frauds. I almost want to go out on a limb and, and call them frauds because they 
routinely do things like this. I mentioned, I think on last week's show about 10 or 12 years ago, this was a team with the number one offense and number one defense in a season, but number 32 special teams unit and they missed the playoffs and you go back to last year and it was just questionable calls and they lose that game week 18, the regular season finale in overtime to miss out on the playoffs. And then you blow a 27 to nothing lead in the playoffs when you finally get there. And I just, you know, Staley's supposed to be this defensive coach and this defense is supposed to have all this talent. Derwin James, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, you know, a half dozen others. Asante Samuel Jr. had three interceptions in this game and they, you know, it's to them, you know, it's the defense couldn't get a stop, but this offense equally with all this talent couldn't put one more drive together. So they need to figure their identity out. I think more than anything, more than adding talent, more than making a coaching change. I think they need to go on, on maybe they need to go to Thailand with Cliff Kingsbury and try and find themselves more than anything, but uh, let's move on. First of the Sunday games, Miami dolphins, Buffalo bills. We all thought this would be an onslaught with Skylar Thompson under center credit to Mike McDaniel and the rest of these dolphins for not only keeping this game close, but it, when the strip sack happened at the start of the second half on Josh Allen, I I almost really thought Miami was going to w- end up winning this game. It makes you think that if Tua was playing healthy, they probably would have. So, I mean, moving forward for Miami or just in general with this game, you know, where is the arrow pointing for you guys? You know, Miami, I do. I, I want to say with this game and Tony Romo pointed it out. Uh, he said when Skylar Thompson threw that interception when he was in his own end zone, that is where Buffalo got back in it because the wind had been taken out of that crowd. All Buffalo or all Miami had to do was not turn the ball over. And really, I think Mike McDaniel ended up in a position early in this game where he knew he had to take some chances to try to win. And, This is where, as a young coach, you learn. The game changes. Your plan has to adapt. You're now winning this game. You do not take chances like that. And, you know, for Miami, ultimately, yes, if two is playing, you have to feel good about your chances of winning that game. And I think everyone would have felt pretty good about their chances of an upset. Not saying they would have, but... They would have thought they had a good shot at it if Tua was playing with the weapons and what he had done with them all season long. Ultimately, Miami has to feel good, though. You made the playoffs. You had a few games without your quarterback. And when your starting quarterback played, you had a really, really good amount of success. Undefeated, I believe, with Tua playing games this year. No, I think they ended up losing one or two. Oh, yeah. You know, the Green Bay game, I think. I think they were a very streaky team. Like they won three in a row, then lost three, then won five, then lost five. And it seemed like their their losing streaks coincided mostly with Tua being out. But yeah, the Tua situation was weird for them. I think I think they kind of just at the end of the year they kind of just sputtered. McDaniel's with the heater on the sideline kind of just brought some life back into them. You know, you got to tip your hat to Skylar Thompson. Played much better than anybody gave him any credit for. And if Tua can't play next year, or even if he even if he is back, I think Thompson's earned the right to be the backup over Teddy. Would you, would you look into bringing anyone else in? Like Jimmy Garoppolo is likely going to hit the market. 
Um, Jimmy G's likely, already a jet. I, I, I mean, come on. Jimmy G's already what? a jet. A jet? I'm sorry. I think that's where Lamar will end up. But we'll 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 talk about that as we move yeah, through the yeah, offseason. Yeah. But um, I think that's a spot to watch. I think two is obviously the franchise quarterback here. Um, but I think Teddy Bridgewater and Scott Thompson didn't show enough for me to feel comfortable that if Tua misses time or isn't ready for the start of the year, I don't know the the level of, of what he's dealing with. So I don't know. I would look into other options, uh, the veteran route, maybe trade for a guy like Carson Wentz, who I think, I mean, certainly Carson Wentz is not a, a starting quarterback anymore. So maybe now he moves into a backup role, but I think that's a question, but I think on the whole, I feel sort of, I don't know if it's a hot take. I kind of like right now, Miami is the division favorites for next year. That's certainly a hot take with Buffalo existing. And even with the Jets on their trajectory, but if Miami can get back to how they played earlier in the year with Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, then maybe you you could end up being right. But yeah, they certainly... got a battle to get there. Yeah, certainly I'm not saying it'll be easy. It might be a scenario where, you know, them and the Bills finish the same record, just tiebreakers gives it to Miami. But Miami Daniel, certainly impressive in his first year, and they hope to build off of that. All right, for my Giants fans here, <laughs> they pulled off the upset, even when we said it wouldn't be an upset. Giants 31, Vikings 24. And, I mean, props to the Giants. Great game plan. Um, you guys were you know, you hit the nail right on the head the last show. Playoff experience doesn't really matter. Xavier McKinney is going to make a big play, and Kirk Cousins decided to check it down to TJ Hawkinson with the season on the line. And You know, I, I got to defend Kirk on that. He had Lawrence in his face. He couldn't go anywhere with it. If he doesn't throw that ball, he gets sacked, strip-sacked. That's the only place he could have gone besides chucking it up, not knowing who was anywhere. Hey, Jefferson got to be down there somewhere. Well, Jefferson uh, Jefferson had 47 yards all game. Jefferson was nowhere anywhere. Yeah. But I he also, gave the ball to one of his playmakers and tried to hope that he could break a tackle and make a play. Yeah, I want to add on to that because, you know, like you think about it, Hawkinson one-on-one open field with a safety. Ultimately, you know, if that's your only option, you kind of have to take it. And there was grass behind him if – uh, McKinney doesn't make that tackle. Now, we pointed out, Corey and I both did, McKinney has the athleticism to make up for that size. He is a strong player. We know that because we've been watching him for the past couple of years now in the Giants' secondary. He's been one of the few bright spots through all of this. He's been one of their best defensive players uh, the past couple of years, if not the best defensive player. And when he's healthy, he's their best defensive player, in my opinion, outside of Adoree Jackson. He made a great play in a big spot. Let's also, though, not overlook how terrible the Giants' defense was for the whole game. I I couldn't agree with you more, but at the same time, we, you know, this is exactly how I felt going in. I did not feel good about it, but their bend but don't break mentality. The bottom line is, early in the game, 
they were able to get a couple stops that let the Giants build a bit of a cushion. And that cushion was crucial. Now the Vikings did end up tying it. What did the Giants do? They went down and answered, and the defense did not give the lead back again. They stepped up when they had to, and they made plays. And that is ultimately what they've done all year long. They have not been a particularly good group in terms of getting off the field consistently, in terms of turning the or getting turnovers. They really really have just been able to come up with stops at opportune times and keep you from scoring a boatload of touchdowns. That's what they do. They make you drive the field. They limit the big plays. It's so hard to drive the field over and over again without Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. The Giants know that. Wink Martindale knows that. And that's what he's going to make you do. Yeah. Pressure breaks pipes, right? You you bring you bring the pressure. You for, make them for, make the offense force something. And if it works out for them, great. We'll just keep going with what we do. And if it doesn't, you know, keep doing it. Kirk Cousins had a phenomenal game himself. It's going to get overshadowed by that last play, but he really yeah. did carve up the the defense. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really not up, you know, down to the Vikings' offense as for why their season's over. I think it comes down to the defense and. The Vikings defense, that's what I have written down here, is Minnesota moving forward, you need to address this defense. So I don't know what, you know, Ben, if you want to chime in on your thoughts, where do you go? Is it a coaching change? Is it mostly personnel-wise for this defense? Because you have to be able to compliment. I mean, this Vikings offense is great, and this defense was a letdown in some crucial moments. Their defense is old. It's old. And the scheme, I mean, they have an issue with their scheme They're They it's old, but they have talent. Now, Patrick Peterson is not who he used to be. So obviously, yes, you're not going to be able to match up with guys in the secondary. At the same time, there is no reason for you to not be able to defend a crossing route. And that is what the Giants killed them with the entire game they let Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James just run crossing routes across the field they let Saquon Barkley go out as a safety valve underneath if you did happen to take those crossers away and then occasionally Daniel Bellinger mixed in as well I mean when this season were you comfortably able to say you know the Giants even if you know you stop the run we'll be okay now not that the Vikings stopped the run because Daniel Jones and Barkley both carved them up. But I mean, they they threw the ball. They came out throwing. They didn't even try to run the ball. I think the biggest thing for the giants, it was an advantage playing them when they did because their coaching staff had a look and you were able to scheme and figure out what worked. When you win a game, you usually don't change much. So the Vikings didn't, the giants lost. They went in, made the adjustments they needed to make. Yep, let's move on to another disappointing football team that wears purple. The Baltimore Ravens at Cincinnati Bengals. And maybe disappointing. I mean, you know, I, we talk about the Vikings. I'm saying defense, defense, defense. Baltimore, they lose 24-17 to the Bengals, and it's offense, offense, offense for them. I mean, this is a team that I know Demarcus Robinson, I believe, had a, a nice long touchdown from Tyler Huntley. But you have to believe we're talking about the potential of a lot of really good to great to elite wide receivers being on the trade market this offseason. Baltimore has to get in on it because I look at, I mean, this is a team with Mark Andrews. Isaiah likely looked pretty good as a rookie. And I, I don't know where else you go in the passing game here, regardless of who's going to play quarterback for them next year. 
I mean, where you go is to the bank to get Lamar his money. <laughs> That's where you go. I don't think they I don't think money even matters at this point. I think Lamar says you had your chance. He's gone. I think he is just mentally and emotionally moved on from the Ravens. Yeah, I think the most likely scenario is I mean, Baltimore's not going to just let Lamar walk away for nothing. I think a tag and trade is what's going to end up happening. But yeah. and if they do tag and trade, he doesn't stay in the AFC. Yeah. So then we're looking at team like you mentioned earlier, Seattle, Washington could be in on a quarterback. So, but personally, so, I do think Lamar stays in Baltimore. He's in a prime spot to to compete for a division title every year. I I think that uh, Baltimore's problems once you get the quarterback figured out, you you have to get a new offensive identity. How are you? Not, how are you trusting Huntley in the red zone to go over the top and not giving not giving it to one of the best red zone running backs in the league? That's it, their issue. Yeah, it really it's it's a, a lapse in judgment, and I I know a lot of people are saying, "Oh, the Harbaugh brothers in the playoffs." Well, not necessarily because John has gone out there and won a lot of playoff games. He's also won a Super Bowl. I don't think John Harbaugh is a bad coach, and I don't think he's a bad playoff coach. I think, again, sometimes as a coach, you kind of just get into a rhythm calling plays. And, you know, while I would have handed the ball off to Dobbins, at the same time, Huntley, I don't think, was playing a bad game. I don't. I think, you know, that's who they trusted. And when a coach and a coaching staff trusts a certain guy to get in, that's who they're going to go with. And if that's who they trusted – the way Huntley was playing, I don't blame him. He wasn't having a bad game. He had them in a position to win. Yeah, if not for a defensive scoop and score, Baltimore, we could certainly be sitting here talking about what's next for the Bengals instead of the Ravens, but certainly questions need to be answered regarding that offense. I mean, the defense definitely did its part. There's talent all over. They paid Roquan Smith the big contract after trading for him during the season. So let's go on to... This this was, I mean, more or less America's game. It was America's team and America's quarterback. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game just ended. We're recording, you know, fresh out of it. Dallas wins 31 to 14. You know, that is not a close score, and it felt farther than what it ended up finishing as. Tampa got a late touchdown and two-point conversion. And I mean, let the questions begin. What's next for Tom Brady? I I think Tom Brady is just ready to go. I've been avidly defending him. I avidly picked him this week saying there's no way first round exit. He just doesn't look like himself anymore. I mean, how many times I know there was pressure in his face, but how many times have you seen Tom Brady consistently under throw checkdowns? It's, it's just, it's tough to watch. I mean, you and I jumped on and just started saying to each other, like, this is tough to watch. I mean, he needs to retire. Yeah, sometimes it hits, you know, I remember seeing Peyton Manning, I think the, you know, historic 2013 season. And by the end of 2014, it was just like, what, what are you doing, man? Yeah, over like, it. sometimes it hits them harder. Other times it's a little more, you know, year by year, a little by little. But I think we, we recognize it for Tom Brady over the course of this season. Something's just hasn't been there all year. 
Yeah, what hasn't been there is a good head coach and a competent offense. Tom Brady's marriage didn't end for his career to end like this. He's done with the Bucs. I think the Bucs are going to go full rebuild. Todd Bowles is gone. Brady will be gone. I mean, the rumors to the Raiders make sense. San Fran makes sense. The Dolphins is another one that he's been rumored to. Heck, even the Patriots are a better option right now than the Bucs. Imagine him and Belichick reuniting to end his career after another two years or so. Towards the end of the game today, his arm strength was still there, overthrowing Evans. He's got it. He just needs an offensive line that'll give him more time. The Bucs lost a lot on the O-line this year. There's no continuity. I don't think he lost it as much as everybody thinks he did. Definitely lost a little bit. But I think he's going to run it back. And if he sees any type of improvement, then uh, Brady thinks he's still got it. And he's going to keep it running. Yeah, a lot to sort out down in Tampa Bay. Like you said, Todd Bowles certainly could be dismissed as head coach. Byron Leftwich, I know he interviewed for a few head coaching gigs last year. I'm sure his name's floating around again this year. So new offensive coordinator might also be needed. And, of course, that quarterback position that every team wants answered. All right, to wrap up this show tonight, the new segment, the Outsider Performances of the Week, we're going to shed the spotlight on a couple guys that aren't necessarily household names but had big performances to help their teams win this past weekend. First up, you know, you guys can hype him up. The giant boy, Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver, had a great game, not only catching the ball, but I was really impressed watching that game, his run blocking as well. I know Kenny Galladay had the highlight pancake block, but seeing Hodgins, he impacted that game in certainly more ways than one. Yeah, he truly had a great game. Uh, he's become one of Daniel Jones's favorite targets uh, since he's come over and he's been activated off the practice squad. The Giants got him in from Buffalo. He's been a great pickup for them. And Daniel Jones really likes it. Great to see him get some recognition in the playoffs. All right, yeah. moving over to the – Go ahead, Corey. I was going to say his route running is crisp. All right, moving over to the defensive side of the ball. We're going to shed the spotlight on Sam Hubbard, defensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, that was the difference in that game. Uh, playoff record, 98-yard touchdown, scoop and score. Tyler Henley tries to dive over the goal line, fumbles the ball, and returns it all the way for a touchdown. And we're going to take this all the way to the end. We're going to wrap this up here. Thank you for joining in with another episode of the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. Join us again later this week when we take a deep dive into the divisional round matchups.